So many bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me from his palatial two-bedroom apartment in Chicago is Chris Arneson. Chris, how are you? Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me back on the show. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Chris, you know, uh, later on in this episode, mm -hmm. we're going to be talking with uh, Chris and Sabi over at Umaiki Games. Mm -hmm. uh, they are out in Germany and working on a title called Skellboy that'll be out later this year. Uh, but first, in the meantime, Chris, you and I have to do some screen watching. We do. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? Um, yeah, we're doing the 40-year-old virgin. Um, which did not age super well um, with some of the content of the jokes they made, I believe. But uh, it was like, what, 2005? So nearly 14 years ago? Yes. Yeah, That's the... insane to me, honestly. I think I worked at a movie theater when it came out. Did you? Yeah. The official release date was uh, August 11th, 2005. Does that track? Would you have been working at a theater then? Yes. Yeah. I had not been fired from that movie theater yet. Hey! <laughs> Take that. Uh, theater who shall not be named. Yeah. But I'm still not allowed to work there, apparently. Oh. I know, right? Huh. Job hunting. Well, uh, you know, on, on a brighter note, uh, I think Steve Carell, uh, this is his breakout performance. Yeah. And I think his role in the film does age well. Like, his yeah. character's emotional journey mm -hmm. uh, it has a tinge of, like, humanity to it, and they do a good job of making the character likable. Where yeah. it would have been really easy to sell him out for a bunch of even more cheap jokes than the ones they already do. Yeah, I, I, there's things I remember liking in it. Like, I like the song at the end. It's just silly and dumb, you know? And, I mean, like, you can tell that it's one of those movies that was, like, improvised on a lot of stuff. And I imagine a lot of the actors, like Seth Rogen and Paul Rudd, um, would probably cringe, you know, at the thought of making, you know, slanderous, you know, jokes about you know like just using you know like making jokes about sexuality and like you know this cheap cheap humor that's extremely dated you know but i mean it unfortunately was a part of that era and also like i think if i worked at a best buy back then i imagine those are the kind of jokes i would hear i don't know <laughs> it's you know i think you're right that an older and wiser paul rudd and seth rogan would look back on the particular scene we're looking at yeah and they would say yeah i wish we could have done that differently now yeah absolutely it's like you know i'm older and wiser now and i regret doing that it's the best part about growing up is you mature and you learn from things i think i, I like seeing that as a culture too so but um i mean also the uh, just the way that they shoot video games in there is almost bafflingly bad. <laughs> if not for yeah, the uh, the toxic masculinity present, yes, the uh, game play would be its own complete atrocity on its on its own. Yeah, there's like a couple scenes where they show people playing video games, and it's like Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen, and I was like, you'd think that they 
that these people play video games, so they might tell the director that this is this isn't how you do it because like it was they're playing Mortal Kombat. Um, I forget which one. Mortal Kombat, I think Deception. Mm-hmm. I think from doing some research online, yeah, that's the one that they went with. I think that's. I think I played that in college. I think I rented it from a blockbuster. A blockbuster. Yeah, that's how old this movie was. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I definitely remember playing it, but I did not use an N sixty four controller and part of a joystick from a gaming chair. So my, you know, I Seth Rogen. I'm pretty sure does have an extensive gaming background because I think he's somehow tied up in the production of the movie. Based on the book Console Wars, oh really? Which is about like basically the Sega Genesis and like them battling the Super Nintendo. I'd watch that. So I think I think it, I bet both of them are, but I know especially Seth would. Yeah. And you know, I'm not a Hollywood mastermind or anything. I've been tangentially related to theater people, though. Mm-hmm. My guess is they got there that day, and the production team were like, "Well, we have this chair, and we found this N64 controller. You guys, you make it work. You, yeah. You just do it." They're like, all right, well, we'll do the best we can with what we got. Yeah, like maybe they were just like, oh, this is silly, and no one would really care, you know, sort of thing. And it's yeah. not, not like it really matters, you know? No. It's just funny, like, when uh, when video games are in TVs and movies because there's, like, there's so many times where it's just like, I don't think anyone knew knows, how, knows what they're doing on this um or maybe there's just an alternate universe where everything is just every peripheral works with everything you know it's just a beautiful world sort of thing you don't have to worry about owning all the consoles it just everything works together that would be nice maybe steve carell's character was like such a master at like emulation and was up to date on like all the pirating of Mm -hmm. software that he had like a converter for an n64 controller and he had a bootleg copy of deception he just knew how to do all that stuff back then i yeah like uh that that would be great there's there's the b plot for the movie right there (laughs) that's that's way better than all the crappy dated uh jokes um but yeah i mean i what is it like there's another scene too where the steve perel's playing and he's like utilizing the full power of the chair Yes. Uh, he's got both both sticks, and he's going so he's, hog wild. Yeah, he's sitting in an office chair mm-hmm. where there are two like flight sticks or yeah. joysticks built in to the end of each arm, which I think was a real thing. I, you know, I bet it's a real thing. Yeah, like it's probably yeah. I think it's a real thing. Like that Sega Genesis uh, peripheral that would you kick and punch with it and the it was, activator yeah yeah <laughs> i forgot yeah. what it was called i remember wanting one so badly i didn't even i didn't have a genesis growing up or anything so my parents were like no you get you get a nintendo and you like it um well they they had i think good taste <clears throat> in that specific sense they made the right move um <laughs> i didn't need every video game thing i don't know it was always fun to like go to your friend's house anyway but yeah but yeah like steve's going nuts playing uh tony hawk i think yeah it's just like this real short four seconds uh clip yeah but he's yeah he's going hog wild trying to play tony hawk and like there's no one-to-one correlation between what he's doing and Tony, what the digital Tony Hawk is doing. Do you think that's where they got the uh, the idea to make the Tony Hawk peripheral board thing? They were like, man, look at how much fun Steve Carell's having in this chair. Yeah. Now, if we made a skateboard with no wheels, that... It could be to... one of like the worst games ever made. Ever made, yeah. It'll ruin the franchise. Yeah. Uh, I honestly love it when franchises get ruined, because by that point, it's just like, I'm, I'm done having 20 versions of this game. 
Like there, yeah, there were eight Tony Hawks at least before they went with the skateboard controller. So I could see them trying to freshen things up. I get it, but yeah. that wasn't the right move, maybe. Yeah, I can't imagine those games have aged super well either. So, wasn't there like a BMX one that also had like porn in or something? That was BMX XXX, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one's not so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't have much to add. That's like, that, that's the, that's like the peak grossness of like mid aughts video gaming. Because like, I think like games don't, there's so much money behind them now that it's hard to like pander to like every little niche thing, you know? Um, and you know, and I'm going to say that being a, gross man show dude is definitely a niche thing um as much as they like to say that they're the they they're the video gaming people that should be pandered to constantly um but yeah like that uh i don't know like i you don't get games like that anymore and that's a good thing we don't have uh we don't have crappy like filler games that you know like no one's in a lineup for midnight release for that stuff you know Thankfully not. Thankfully not, yeah. Like that volleyball game that uh, I remember, like, didn't come to the U.S. and everyone got really mad about it. Yeah. You know? But Yeah, I, I mean, uh, there was a recent game called uh, Zanky Zero, Last Beginning. and Zanky Zero, Last Beginning? Yes. Okay. And I am not fully familiar with the details of what exactly was censored, mm-hmm. but elements of the game were modified to, uh, shall we say, bring the game more in line with ages of consent in the United States as opposed to Japan. Woof. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and then, like, if you go on Steam and look at the reviews, there are several reviews that are like, this game is probably good, I don't know it, but it's got censorship, thumbs down. Thumbs down. I'm 18, and I'm mad about it. Uh-huh. If I can't see nudity all the time, then, I'm, then everything's bad. Yeah. I'm going to join a hate group. Uh, well, I mean, now we're diverging into, like, uh, oh, no. Non-fiction. Not, yeah, that's definitely reality, so I don't know. What a bummer. Plomp, plomp. <laughs> so uh, this scene, though, it's it's like only 30 seconds, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it is relatively well-known, not just for like the video game moment, which, yeah, if you again, if you look online, you'll see like lots of threads on different message boards being like, yo, what's going on in that scene? Why are they holding the controller so weird? <laughs> They're saying yo. Um <laughs> I, uh, yeah, like, they're holding it extremely weird. Like, I mean, I know the N64 controller is, uh, probably one of the worst ever made. Um, but, man, like, he's holding it, like, like, he's, I think, he's... I, he's got it, one hand yeah. fully on the the right handle for mm-hmm. the buttons, and he's, like, yeah. going back, he's, like, jamming like over it, too. Over like, not it. holding, like, the, the handle part that you would hold, you know, to, like, get, yeah. the, get the C buttons and stuff. And and he's kind of like just kind of rubbing yeah. the analog stick. Yeah, like like he's trying to play it like it's a joystick, like the way the way Paul's using his. Yeah, and it's hard to tell what Paul's even got in his hand for like most of it. I had to watch it a couple times and be like, oh wait, oh that's the joystick on the chair thing that you see in the other clip. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't recognize that. I thought they were both using N64 controllers because they were both holding them in very similarly weird ways. It's it's a mess. Yeah. And, and while they're doing it, they uh, keep going back and forth with the, with these jokes, mm-hmm. uh, jokes and quotations here about, yeah. uh, do you know how I know you're gay? Mm-hmm. And they just like keep give, listing reasons back and forth about how they know the other person is gay. Yes. Yeah. And they're all bad. Like they're just. 
You know how I know you're gay? How? How do you know I'm gay? Because you macrameed yourself a pair of jean shorts. You know how I know you're gay? You just told me you're not sleeping with women anymore. You know how I know that you're gay? How? Because you're gay and you can tell who other gay people are? You know how I know you're gay? How? You like Coldplay. Yeah. They're yeah. Just, they're just like, uh, like, ah, oh, you, uh, you expressed emotions in front of other men that wasn't anger. So that's how I know. And it's, I don't know. Not really. It's like you want, you listen to Coldplay. Yeah. And then I think the other guy's like, wait, it's bad to listen to Coldplay? Yeah, it's like you macrame or something or like other things. Like you do hobbies that aren't manly or something. I don't know. Yeah, like I remember like people do, saying that all the time too, like back in college and stuff. Like it was a thing for a while in, in small town Ohio, at least. Um, I don't think it was a thing everywhere, but um, I don't know. Definitely a uh, joke fad that needed to die. Um, and also this, like, you know, again, like, just growing up and maturing and not having... I mean, it's, it's there's no way that any of it's good, you know? Like, it, it sucks that we were there, but it's nice that we realize, oh, this is, like, derogatory and shitty to people, like, you know, and it creates... I don't know. I can go way into this. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it creates this... Uh, it makes people look... Like, if you demean people long enough, it's going to make people be like, oh, they, they're worth demeaning, you know? Like, if that's, like, the main thing on it, outside of just being a shitty thing to, to say. I don't know. It irks me so much. Like, watching it, I was like... I just, like... Oh, I, I was just, like, shuddered, you know? Because I forgot about it entirely. I don't need movies to go back to where they had a code where, like, anything, anytime a person does a bad thing, they need to be punished yeah. for it. Like, I don't think 50s. anyone's, yeah. But, yeah, like, it just is, it's not funny, and it just kind of, like, exists in the film, and then it kind of passes without being commented on again. It's like, yeah. well, okay, that's kind of shitty of you yeah. to do that. I wonder if there's, I mean, again, like, I feel like these people to Seth Rogen and Paul Rudd would be like, yeah, that was not a great a great bit we did in those movies. So I was just listening to a thing today with Kevin Owens. I uh, was interviewed on a podcast recently about people. He was asked about, like, oh, like, people say that, like, people are too, um, they get too insulted. You know, everyone gets insulted so easily, and everyone's like, you know, everyone expects people to be, like, so PC and stuff. And he was like, he went into, like, good detail on just, like, saying that, like he's happy that it's transitioned that way like he remembers like doing he's a wrestler so like he was an indie wrestler for a long time and he like just he didn't name any names or anything but he was like yeah i definitely like heard people and definitely said things that i regret you know saying at some point but that i was a shitty 20 year old kid and i matured and grew up and realized that you know that not everything needs to be like said especially like because you're not represent you know i don't know even at one point i think he his like his trademark catchphrase was kill steen kill yeah and he softened it to fight steen fight yeah because he's like yeah maybe i don't want to have people chanting kill at me especially like now that i have a son yeah fight is good enough yeah i like the you know people growing older and becoming more mature and self and aware of the things not self-aware but like self-aware in the fact that you can, you know, grow and check yourself once in a while, but also just, like, grow and, like, look at the world around you and see that, that it's changing, too, and then change with it. 
you know. <clears throat> so, Chris, you know, we usually cap these segments by rating mm-hmm. the scene uh, or the episode or the film yeah. based on three categories. Mm-hmm. So those three categories are accuracy, yeah. condescension, mm-hmm. and entertainment. Mm-hmm. And just like with uh, video games, typically, they are rated on a scale from 6 to 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's start off with accuracy. So uh, for the accuracy of this scene or these scenes from 40-Year-Old Virgin, yeah. with 6 being completely inaccurate to 10 being lifelike accuracy, how would you rate this? That's going to be a si- I can't go lower than 6? You can't go lower than 6. Then That's it's going to have to be it's going to have to be 6, Bill, cuz it's completely inaccurate. They're not using the right controllers. Uh, who knows even that they haven't plugged in anything. And I either scene too. They're it, they're playing a game that's someone else. I don't know how how do you think they filmed those back then? Those it, scenes? It's a green screen them now like over the TVs. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what happened is they just did the shot of them, and then, like, they had someone come in and sit down and, like, play the game and do the other oh, shot. Oh, that makes more sense, yeah. Obviously, I always, you know, I don't know how the magic is made, Bill. I don't, I don't know either. That's just my guess. Like, I remember listening on a podcast to one guy who was, like, his job was to do that, so. That's amazing. Uh, and then what's the next score? The next score is condescension. Mm-hmm. So if you found this movie... These scenes to be not condescending to gamers at all, give it a six. If you found it to be extremely condescending to gamers or gaming, give it a ten. Hmm. That's tricky. Because I feel like it is... Oh, I, I didn't even yeah. give my score. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Accuracy. Yeah. Uh, so I would give it a seven. Just wow. because they did actually use a real game, and they actually used technically a real controller that's okay that's, so i'm gonna be I a little generous that, there. Yeah. there you go that's very generous of you i think uh so anyway uh going forward now condescension you do condescension first i go okay fine yeah. i'm gonna go with uh a 10 because mm-hmm. i feel like both uh with steve carell's character and like the stunted uh behavior of both paul rudd and seth rogan they're trying to show they're very childish and juvenile yeah like that is one thing to the credit of the film, I think, is like they're trying to show that that behavior like doesn't pay off. Mm-hmm. Like they don't, they're not questioning the process enough, but they're saying it will lead to bad results. Yeah, and this is like showing these guys are like idiots, basically. Yeah, I like that a lot, but I want to say that because I'm really tricked. I'm, I'm I'm between that giving it a ten and giving it a six because I want to be like, well, this isn't like these aren't the people that I play video games with. Like you know, maybe at a time. In my life, when I was younger, but I think Paul Rudd's 35 in there, so that's how old I am. So I'm gonna give it a six. Uh, Paul Rudd was already 35 when the 40-year-old Virgin came out. Well, it was nearly 15 years ago, so he's 50 now. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There was like a whole thing on it last month um, because because uh, he looks so young. He does. Yeah, and he's even like he's even like. You know, people ask him that stuff. He just, you know, he seems like a just a wholesome guy. So, um, but yeah, like uh, I don't know. Maybe that's the maybe that's the secret of vitality is to just not be a shitbag. So, <laughs> I'm gonna give it a six. You're gonna say it's not condescending to gamers at all. Yeah, because those people people that are childish and gatekeepy, you know, like those aren't those aren't real gamers. And don't at me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm going to give it a six. 
Then lastly, uh, Chris, we have to come f- with uh, entertainment. Mm-hmm. If you found these scenes to be completely unentertaining, mm-hmm. give it a six. If you found them to be extremely entertaining, give it a ten. Okay. I'm going to give it a six then. So we went into very deep detail on why. Most of the Paul Rudd, Seth Rogen scene is them just making jokes, those jokes, um, quote unquote. So I'm going to give it a six. Because it's it irked me. I don't know. Soup soup's hard. So, and also that makes my whole score six six six. It's hot it's hot as hell outside. So this kind of loops the whole thing around. So there the we number go. Number of beasts. Number of the beasts. Is that a meatloaf song? I thought it was uh, Sabbath. Is it Sabbath? Okay. I forget. I don't know. Meat Sab? Sab meat? You know, uh, at a time Ozzy Osbourne and Meatloaf teaming up on a song would have been pretty, pretty rad. Pretty rad, right? Yeah. Uh, for my entertainment, uh, I gotta go with a six. Yeah. Uh, I just didn't think the, the jokes were funny. I uh, didn't find anything about the games funny. Yeah. It was just, uh, it sucked. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I think everyone, like we said, uh, is a little older, a little wiser, and there is still somewhat of an emotional core to, like, 40% of the film that is endearing, but the rest is pretty shitty. Yeah. I remember, I mean, I haven't seen it forever again. Like, I just watched these scenes, so... But I just remember, like, you know, like, a big part of it was, like, just him moving on from, I think, all the things that scared him, you know, would make, I don't know. It was a stupid movie, but, you know, <laughs> but, like, um, but, yeah, I think that Steve Carell does a good job of playing up, um, like, an emotional core for characters, so, but, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that brings our segment of screen watching to a close. Chris, we're going to go on a break here, Mm -hmm. and when I come back, I'll be talking with uh, Chris and Sabi over at Mikey Games. Not me, though. I'm not the Chris. Different Chris. Different Chris. Different Chris. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And we are back from break. Joining me on the line today are two of the team members from Umaiki Games. They're working on the upcoming title Skellboy coming to PC, Mac, Linux, and also the Nintendo Switch. Uh, joining me today are Chris, the lead programmer and level designer, and Sabi, the lead artist on the game. Thank you so much for your time. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, thank you. I really appreciate you joining me all the way over from uh, Deutschland. Uh, <laughs> So uh, usually the way we start out with these interviews is for anyone who may be unfamiliar with the title in advance, uh, could one of you perhaps give a brief elevator pitch of what Scaleboy is? Of course. So Scaleboy is an RPG action adventure, and it plays in the kingdom of Kobold, where the evil court magician asks the princess of that kingdom for a date, but he gets rejected. And he's so angry about that, he decides to summon the apocalypse with undeads and a lot of monsters and what you know. But accidentally, he also revives you, the protagonist, a little square skeleton hero guy that can swap out their bones for body parts of foes and friends and can learn new abilities through that. And with that, you are on your way to save the kingdom. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. That mechanic sounds so cool to me, but uh, first of all, I, I do want to step back and maybe go into the, the history of Umaiki Games. 
I was wondering, first off, if I could just ask, how did uh, your team form? Ooh, that's a really hard question. Um, the funny thing is, uh, Umaiki Games is a title I uh, came up with in, in high school. <laughs> so that's uh, 10 years ago. And in the meantime, I did all different kind of games, mostly on my own. Uh, the last one was a tactical RPG which got scrapped until now. Maybe one day I can go back to it. Um, and on that, uh, Zabaku, Zabi, helped me out with a lot of artworks. I think the, the, she did some uh, illustrations for the books. Um, and then thought, okay, uh, it's, it's working really good together. So we did some game jams after that. Uh, I think we did uh, Buntoki first, a bakery simulator, uh, for a man one month jam. Uh, the next year we did uh, what was it called? Dungeon Sounds, where uh, Bjorn stepped in, our uh, musician. And then, okay, the next year we did a Scaleboy as a small mini project, another one month uh, contest back then. And then you thought, okay, this game is pretty good. Let's let's make something <laughs> big out of it. Um, and also, Shotty is our newest member. He's not working at Scaleboy right now, but on his own uh, RPG, Sandria, which is also really cool. And then, yeah, that's history. Now we're here. <laughs> we are kind of officially a company like... Um... You you made it a, f a fictional company like uh, the beginning of this yeah, year. Yeah, I, I formed it legally this year, but as a team, we worked for several years now. That's amazing. And I, I see from your earlier titles that you were participating in something known as the Indie Game Maker Contests. It looks like those are put together by itch.io. Uh, you, you alluded to this already, uh, but could you talk a little bit about like what it was like entering those contests so um this was basically just an excuse to make new concepts we came up with uh for real so there are these indie game maker contests i think they still do them uh, where you can also win money i believe i'm i'm not sure because we never won something <laughs> um but yeah we we um decided to do our games for these contests and it was very interesting because you just had the amount of one month of time to do it so you you had some pressure in your back and that always helps in the gaming community <laughs> so it always started with um we threw all our ideas together and then at the end when we had a thousand pages of ideas we were like oh we never gonna we gonna never gonna make it and we just did what we could and wrapped it up and usually we just um finished the games on the last hours of the contest or something it was a really wild time but it was also very fun <laughs> oh it was so stressful i remember dungeon sounds uh, which was which is a kind of musical experience The last day, I just worked through the whole night. It was really stressful, but a lot of fun. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, because it was in the summer and we we had um, kind of a f forum community meetup coming up. And I remember I was like, so I'm done with graphics. I'm going to drive to Bremen now. And you can and you can come when you are nope, done. No, <laughs> I have to make this ready. I'm coming tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> 
With these different trials you faced in the past, uh, how did those help uh, when you were working currently on Scaleboy, either in terms of uh, how it affected your game design or how it affected uh, like your I think, organization? Uh, the, the most important thing I learned in the past is that you should not do everything yourself. As I said, I worked a long time on another game solo. And to be honest, if you want to get ready someday, you really should to let some uh, things go. Um, in, in Scaleboy, I'm not doing the graphics anymore because it's just a lot of time. Good thing Zabi is there to do it. Uh, so working in a team is really my step forward. And you also... I, I remember for uh, Dungeon Sounds and Bontoki, he wrote his yeah, own engine. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming more from a C++ standpoint. Um, I did kind of everything myself. I, I used the Ehrlich engine back then. And there you had to do a lot of the graphics stuff yourself. And now with Scaleboy, we finally switched to Unity and it's so much easier to get stuff done because most of the systems are already there and you can focus on gameplay programming. Also, I think I learned to, to take things more simple, more compressed and not think too big because you will always make your game too big, even if you decide to make it small. <laughs> in the end and I think another thing is uh, we are a lot more organized with Scaleboy we, <laughs> we we do so much meetings and talk about our ideas up front and not just starting and look what's coming out yeah I think that's it I was still just so interested in one thing Sabi you'd mentioned uh, back, back at uh, PAX East when we first spoke is that uh, the original prototype for Scaleboy came from RPG Maker, and I just remember when I was back in like high school, uh, <laughs> they, they, you could like get RPG Maker for your PlayStation One, and that it was like so alien to me. So, uh, what, why was RPG Maker uh, chosen, and and like what, how did it work differently from there compared to now? The thing is, the first prototype for Scaleboy was in was made in 2013. As far as I remember, I searched for old graphics uh, these days to make sure, and I found an old title screen graphic where it says 2013. <laughs> that was pretty helpful because it's so it's so long ago. At that time, um, I was very active in the RPG Maker community. I found a, an RPG Maker so long ago, and it was my first thing that helped me into getting into game development um, because it was so easy and you kind of couldn't get it for free at that time. Totally legal. <laughs> um, to totally. <laughs> cough, cough. <laughs> it, was, it was totally normal. So at that time I was, I was very active in this uh, RPG Maker forum, in this German community, and they also made like a monthly game jam where you just have, I, I believe, one weekend or something uh, yeah, to, to yeah. make something. And I, I kind of had the idea to come up with something and try to grasp it as simple as possible. So I came up with these square characters that fit perfectly into the RPG Maker roster because um, I don't know... If, if it's still known, but uh, RPG Maker is like very restricted. You have those char sets that have to have a special size and 
just such and such much frames and yeah, I kind of rolled with that because on one way it makes everything a little bit simpler, in the other way it makes everything a little bit difficult also. So I made this prototype and I was like, so I want my characters to, to be as customizable as possible, but they are just tiny little squares. So I made a custom menu and had all those all those things you could uh, put on your character, like not only heads and bodies and legs, like it's in Scalebound now, but accessoires, just just like extras you can put on and like hats and stuff. And it was it was a real clusterfuck. I imagine when I um, when I showed it to friends and they and they are like, so you can combine all those items, but how how do you do it technically? And I just opened the graphics folder, and you you just have to imagine you couldn't just lay over all the stuff and had different combinations of your character. You had to make every combination like a single graphic and show them in the game. So I had a full folder full of uh, full of um, picture data just with all the combinations oh I could think of. <laughs> it was it was great. I, I never heard a bigger oof in my life. <laughs> it was great. And kind of like in that time, uh, Chris was um, was already friends with me. We already worked uh, together and he was like, it's a cool concept and I would like to try something. And then he built a little prototype where you have those flat characters in a 3D environment. Probably you can you can explain it better. Yeah, I, I mostly saw your your big uh, image ordner, and I I really had pity for you. <laughs> I thought, okay, no, no, please don't do that. It takes <laughs> up so much time. Uh, and then I, I uh, as I said back then, I used C and Erlicht, and I just uh, built this prototype, which was kind of Kubert is uh, kind of Scaleboy is now with flat characters, but more like a. You know Yoshi's story where these uh, are kind of uh, comic books. Those flip book yeah. graphics. It was more like that. And uh, it, it worked out really well. Um, but later on for the contest, we already used Unity, I suppose. And back then, yeah. this one contest in the RPG Maker community, um, the uh, thematic was Apocalypse. And we thought, okay, we've got... Uh, this Kubold kingdom, you have to know uh, the characters were always these normal uh, characters in the game, not a skeleton. And we thought, okay, we want to do uh, uh, something with these characters, but we have to fit the theme Apocalypse. So we came up with, okay, unser, uh, our <laughs> our main character is just a skeleton who, who died in the Apocalypse, and you have to play him now. And then we thought, okay, a skeleton is kind of different parts, a head, a torso and feet, so we could just make it so the player can swap these parts to get more abilities, which would be like more organic than the normal equip uh, a new a new head or new glasses or stuff like that. That's awesome. And then uh, for making the, the main character, uh, so I'm, for people who haven't seen the video of the game, your main character is a two-dimensional cutout operating in the 3D world. Is, that's correct, right? Why did you choose to make the main character into like a, a 2D uh, 
figure in the 3D world rather than make him like a 3D figure. We made a 3D game before with a lot of modeling involved, but uh, that was already pretty basic. And imagine to animate and to model all those characters. It's a really it's a it's a lot of work and i'm not i'm not the best person i i kind of modeled in 3d before but i'm not the best person with it um so we kind of tried uh um a good way to get those characters working but also something that would be made in a reasonable time with reasonable resources and so we kind of got into yeah we could just uh, take those to these sprites and extrude them and make them kind of 3D-ish. Not really, but but uh, they are like 3D objects still. And um, that would take the work from us to, or, to model everything and to make all the animations. So it, it's really a time, a time helper, so to say. And it also looks very stylish. And that's right. <laughs> in, in the end, we just have one 3D object in the whole game. Everything else you see is just a 2D sprite atlas where we defined where these uh, the objects are and then we move them around in Unity. I would never have realized that the that choice was to make things easier to program. It just, it does, as Sadi said, make it look so yes, stylish. Sometimes uh, less is more. all right well in that case then i have i have two questions uh these questions will be for each of you uh so i'm hoping each of you can offer an answer uh so the first question is uh if you could swap out one body part uh for anything either another animal's body parts or a machine or something like that, uh, what would it be? Do you want to start? I, I totally <laughs> want to start. I would swap out my stomach for a refrigerator. So I can have in this hot summer always uh, cold drinks with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so clever. Um, I'm kind of undecided. I guess I would, I would really like to uh, change my legs for probably longer legs <laughs> to be a little bit bigger <laughs> because it helps a lot with um, looking people in the eyes and getting stuff from the highest shelves and stuff. That would be cool. Well, awesome. And then uh, lastly, uh, we we went over this a little bit with, uh, with our last talk, but I'm going to ask new questions. We're going to mix it up here. So just uh, be ready. So, uh, Sabi, uh, if there is one Pokemon based on all the Pokemon from any from any region that you could be, what Pokemon would you choose to be? Oh man. It would probably be something fluffy and peaceful, like um how's the sheep Pokemon called? The Electro one? I know it's it's Waltilam in in German, but I think in, in in the United States that's known as Mareep. Oh yes, Mareep. That's my choice. I think being a sheep would be would be a very a very chill experience. <laughs> and Chris, if there is one Pokemon that you could eat, what Pokemon would oh, that man. be? <laughs> uh, 
You cannot escape. Do I have to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would. I, I also don't know the English name. Uh, it's it's called Tangela in German. It's it's like spaghetti. It's the the blue. Oh, I, I think that's. Uh, yeah, I think it's also known as like Tangela. Uh, yeah, here. really? Okay. Yeah. Okay, I just close my eyes and think it's uh, spaghetti. <laughs> Then I can eat it. So thank you so much uh, for answering all my questions, even even the difficult ones. No, it uh, was totally. fine. It was totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> If people want to get updates on either you or on Scalboy, uh, where can uh, they you get can them? get them on our homepage, uh, mikeygames.com. You can also find us on Twitter at just um, at Mikey Games, and if you want to know when Scalboy for PC is out, we already have a we already have a Steam page, so you can wishlist. You always see all the updates we can give you, so please do that. <laughs> yes, uh, for any other uh, gamers listening, having a Having a game on your wish list really helps uh, to make the game more visible to other people on Steam. So if you have a sec, if you like what you hear about Scalboy, uh, go ahead and do that. It'll, it'll really help them. Go tell all your friends and your and your foes. And, and people who are not your friends, I like <laughs> don't care. To tell anyone. <laughs> and, and it is coming out on PC, Mac, Linux, and then uh, Fabraz is helping to put it out on Switch. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for okay, your time. Thank you. <laughs>We are back from break. One more time, big thanks to Chris. Not the Chris in the room with me, but mm -hmm. a different Chris. Different Chris. And Sabi, uh, way out in uh, Europe. Thank you again for making the times work. Uh, we had to go a little bit back and forth, uh, Chris, in this room because, you know, it's a seven-hour time difference. Yeah. So I actually had to record this uh, interview on the 4th of July. Oh, Because they were, because they're, you know, that's oh. their evening time. And yeah. It's our afternoon time. Yes. And that's the only day, basically, where I'd be around in the afternoon to um, be able to do that. That's a good point. <laughs> so, yeah. One more thing before we uh, bring this episode to a close, Chris. There's mm -hmm. a certain uh, minute we have to handle. It's a uh, wizard, it's a wizardly, it's a wizardry? It's wizardly, a I, wizardly. I would say, yeah. It's a spelldiferous. Spelldiferous? Okay, that's a new word for me, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's... It's a word of the day. Uh, chimerastic. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, Bill's Magic Minute. Bill's Magic Minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I gotta time you. Yes. So you only get a minute, Bill. Well, uh, so here's the deal. Yeah. Uh, for those of you listening for the first time, I really love Magic the Gathering, mm -hmm. and I would talk about it all the time in the podcast if I didn't limit myself to this specified time yeah. where I can talk about one topic of my choosing. So the topic this time will be the Mastery Pass that is available on MTG Arena. And I have a D20 in my hand. I'm going to use it. I'm going to roll it three times, and that will determine, out of 60 seconds, how much time I get to chat about this topic. So real fast, I got... ...34 seconds. You only get 34 seconds? I only get 34 seconds. Okay, then let's... That's, I'm going to hold you to it. I mean, if you want to, uh, you know, jump in here because you are a magic player as well. I mean, yeah, I think I'm, we can like increase the level of the the debate and the uh, 
the insight if we both uh, jump in there. So. I we were talking about the mastery pass, right? Yes. I have not done hardly any research outside of listening to people complain about it on the subreddit for Magic Arena. All right, then let me get to it. And yeah. if you have anything you want to jump in there in those 34 seconds, yeah, let's make it happen. Okay. All right, let me know when we're ready. And go. The mastery pass feels like. Uh, maybe a, a bad deal for for players, not necessarily because it's a bad value. From what I have read and observed, it appears to be about like a break even. But in terms of the layout for I would say the average user, they're going to be putting in cash, and roughly speaking, uh, having them put in cash to get different cosmetics. I mean, for different people, that might mean. Uh, more to them than it does to me, but most of the time it's going to mean they get less bang for their buck. They get to play less games. And you're done. I'm done. You're All done. Right. That actually ended off on a pretty good note. I think. Yeah, I think it I did. Covered everything I needed to cover. No, yeah, and I, I mean, to to, to chime in, I like getting free packs every week, and I'm bummed that I can't do that anymore. I can't chime in, uh, so I'm going oh, yeah. to let that's that stand unopposed. That's all I got. Unopposed. You hear that, world? I'm right. <laughs> I won an argument. Um, yeah, so uh, that was good, though. I want, we should play Arena together. I'm hoping that they add a friends list at some point. That would be nice. That would be nice. Yes. Instead of writing down everyone's code thing. I don't know. But anyway. In the meantime, thank you so much, Chris, for coming on this week's episode. Thank you for having me. If you would like to... Pe- if you'd like people to find you, either online or in person anywhere, where yeah. can they find you? Uh, I'm doing shows with The Den Theater over at uh, LOL Chicago over on uh, Lincoln Park or Lincoln Avenue. Um, and it's uh, we do shows a couple times a week with our team, Chicago Breakfast. Um, and we've been doing as many other shows as possible. So you can find us on Instagram uh, at CB improv and, um, find us on Facebook. It's under Chicago breakfast as well. Um, and we usually post like when we're having shows and stuff. So, but we've, uh, we're a little bigger of a team now, so we're doing some transitional stuff. Got a new coach. Things are looking good. And, um, I'm doing shows at uh, CSC every Sunday night at 10 PM or 10 PM. Oof. Uh, at, <laughs> at 9 PM. So, but yeah, with my uh, my uh, CAC team, we're going under the name Swamp Witch right now, which I really like the name. So yeah, and but yeah, I um and then if you want, I I locked my Twitter account because I'm looking for jobs right now. But if uh, it might not be locked at some point, or you can just send me a DM or whatever. But I'm under Chip Snackerson on Twitter as well. But yeah. Well, awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes, please rate and review, or download from uh, Spreaker, from SoundCloud, from Simplecast, Simplecast, uh, YouTube. We're on Spotify. Uh, we play games. Twitch.tv/so many bits Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. Wednesdays for Magic: The Gathering Online or MTG Arena. Thursdays for a variety of different games. Recently, I've played. Uh, Gosh, Cook Serve Delicious, Super Mario Kart, Spider-Man, Super mm. Hot, Ooh. Journey. Yeah. So you can, that's a very wide variety of different games. Yes. There. So, you know, you, you tune in any given week, you'll see something new. I never beat Journey. It is like 90 minutes. You should go back. And I need to, yeah. I think I, I, I got a PS4 recently, and I, I'm 
I, I logged in and I think they gave you me a copy for owning it on PS3 for PS4. So nice. I just need to go in there and beat it. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't turned my PS4 on in a few months, so blomp blomp. <laughs> so they're not on my list of games I've played right now, so unfortunately. Make sure to also check out nerdalogs.com for my podcast and a variety of others. <clears throat> and last but not least, thank you very much for listening. Have a great summer. And stay cool. Stay cool. Stay cool. Ooh, yeah. That's good. All right. <laughs>